0: Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church, Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler, and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. For us today, if you've got your Bibles, I hope that you do, would you open them up to the book of 1 John chapter 4? 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you, grab one of the hardback black Bibles from under your chair, and if you're using one of those, you'll want to turn to page 1023. That's where we're going to be today. Today is our second week in Advent. Last week, as we talked about Advent, I told you that Advent simply means coming, and as we celebrate Advent, we're celebrating the coming of Jesus here to earth. We pause to take this moment in time and just to remember that Jesus came 2,000 years ago, but he's also going to come again. And so we celebrate Advent. And we also I also told you last week that as we celebrate Advent, each week we'll have a different point of emphasis. So last week we talked about hope. And as we talked about hope, we looked at Isaiah chapter 9, and I, I told you that we, we want to place our hope in the right place Because when we place our hope in the wrong place, it can leave us depressed, worn out, and defeated. But if we can place our hope in the right place, we can find joy, we can find rest, we can find strength. So we looked at Isaiah chapter nine, and as we did that, we saw that our hope brings joy, so we can actually rejoice. And our hope brings victory, so we can rest. We don't have to fight the battle on our own. It's already won, so we can actually rest. But most important of all, our hope is Christ himself. So in this season where we get so busy doing so many different things, we want to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because he is our hope. That's what we saw last week as we began our celebration of Advent. But today, we're going to talk about love. And we're going to look at this chapter here in 1 John, which, to be perfectly honest, doesn't really feel like a Christmas passage, but it really is. So let's just dive right in. 1 John chapter. Four. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Over in 1 Peter, we read that the grass withers, that the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, as we dive into this text and we look at what this is telling us, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would help us to see that love is more than just an emotion that we feel, but love is a command that we carry out that we have an obligation to love others because you have loved us. We ask that you would speak to us in a real and profound way so that we would see that, so that we could live on mission for you. God, we need your help in this. We cannot do it on our own. We we want to be the kind of disciples you've called us to be, the kind of disciples who love others well. So we're going to ask that you would speak to us today and help us to see this and help us to live it out. God, as we ask each week, we also ask that if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, we would ask that today would become the day where they repent of their sin, where they experience your love acted out for us in a new and life-changing way, and that they would forever be able to say that I am different because of the love of God. God, would you do that today? Would you save souls so that we can make much of your name? We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your beautiful, precious name that we pray. Amen. Today we're talking about love, and I know that when we talk about love so often, our temptation is to think about love stories, to think about the emotion of love. In the summer and fall of 1999, I was assigned to the USS Porter, which was an Arleigh Burke-class destroyer that was going through an overhaul over at the Ingalls Shipbuilding Facility in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Uh, We were there for about six months, I think, and, and as we got to late October, the overhaul was complete, and it was time for the ship to get underway, so we got underway to sail from Pascagoula up to our home port of Norfolk, Virginia. A couple of days into the the underway period as we were transiting down around Florida and up to Virginia, I I was standing watch on the bridge as a quartermaster. I I was one of the ship's navigators. That was my job, and the bridge is where you steer and drive the ship from, all that stuff. So I'm standing on the the bridge, standing watch, and I looked out on the uh, bridge wing, and I saw this, like, incredibly attractive, new female sailor standing watch as a lookout. And I got to be perfectly honest, as soon as I saw her, it was over. I came up with every excuse I could think of, whatever I could think of, to go out onto that bridge wing and talk to that girl. Now, before we'd gotten underway, I was, um, when we were in port in Virginia, I lived with my aunt and uncle because my aunt was a Navy nurse and she was stationed there in Norfolk as well. And, and she had told me, hey, Thanksgiving is coming up. If you know of a single sailor that's going to be stuck on the ship for Thanksgiving that can't go home to see their family, you could invite that sailor over for Thanksgiving dinner. And, and I used that invite that my aunt had given me as an excuse to ask this girl out or that was the plan anyway. I talked to some of the guys I worked with and I told them that's what I was going to do. The problem is Rob went and he went and asked her for me without my permission, behind my back. And then he came over very excited to tell me that she had said yes. I was utterly embarrassed, but you know, foot's in the door, let's go with this. So I, I was trying to play it cool. I, I was using the Thanksgiving dinner really as just an excuse to ask her out on a date. And so now that I had that kind of foot in the door, I, I went and talked to her and I said, hey, I know you're new in town. I know you don't have any of your stuff because you just got out of boot camp and all that stuff. I've got a truck. What if I took you to the mall and you could get some stuff, help you get settled? And while we're there, maybe we could, I don't know, go to a movie and get some dinner or something like that. And again, somehow she said yes. I I thought this was working. I thought I was like, I I pulled this off. This is awesome. Until we're driving to the mall, and she tells me how her dad had told her that she shouldn't date sailors. And I was like, well, I guess I'm in trouble now. So we go to the mall. We walk around. She buys some stuff. I remember trying to hold her hand in the movie theater. She wouldn't let me. Um, (laughs) Fast forward a week later, we're at Thanksgiving dinner with my aunt, my uncle, and my four cousins. and, And they are everything you'd expect uh, to, to see when, when you bring a girl home to family. Like, it was a billion questions, and Tama at the time was super shy, so she didn't want to answer any of them, uh, but, but somehow she got through that, and as I was driving her back to the ship that night, uh, I, I turned to her and said, so, so you want to be my girlfriend? And she said yes again. <laughs> a year later... I take her out to dinner at a really nice Italian restaurant at that same mall. So, you know, it wasn't really that nice. And (laughs) I popped the question and she said, yes. A year after that, a year and like a a month after that, we were married. And in a couple of weeks, we will celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. That is my personal love story. And, And so often when we talk about love, we think about things like that. But here's the thing, when when we're talking about love, we're we're not really talking about the emotion, especially when we're talking about what we see here in the Bible. As we celebrate Advent and we're talking about love, I want you to see that love is supposed to look different if you're a Christian, because love is more than an emotion. And we see that right here in 1 John. Take a look, beginning at verse seven, the apostle John writes, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And right there in that very first verse in this section of John's letter, what I want you to recognize, that if you're a Christian, love is a command. It's a command. It's, it's not just an emotion that we feel. It's not an idea that we talk about. It's it's not Definitely not a suggestion that we consider. Love is a command. We're commanded to love. Now, as we read this, we might miss that fact, especially because of the way that John gives this command. Because he gives us this command with a pastor's heart. He's talking to these Christians who he knows and and loves dearly, and he's saying, hey, brothers and sisters, hey, let's love one another. This command isn't like a, a bully command. And it's not meant to be obeyed, but grudgingly. It's like, well, John said we have to love you, so here we go, we're gonna love you. That's not what it is at all. This is a command that we're supposed to fulfill joyfully. And we know that because of where this love that we're going to express comes from. Look at verse seven one more time. He says, beloved, let us love one another For love is, where's it from? It's from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, what are we seeing right there? What we're seeing is that we love because we have received God's love. That's what we're seeing right there. Our love for others finds its source. It finds its origin in God himself. Because when we've experienced God's love, that's something we cannot keep to ourselves. It bubbles up out of us. Now, I've used this next example before, but I'm not that creative, and honestly, I can't think of anything that explains it better. So, so I'm gonna use it again. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. This time of year, the Hallmark Channel has become famous for its Christmas movies. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like They are on nonstop. You can't miss them. And these movies aren't particularly good, they're, they're not particularly bad either, but they are incredibly sappy and sam- sentimental, and they're usually somewhat entertaining. And in my household, it's become kind of this event for the family when we watch them. Now, Tama and Katie watch them because they actually enjoy the movies, but Kylie and I sit back, and we watch them to make fun of them. A- and we do that because they're all the same. They all have basically the same plot, a guy or a girl returns back to their hometown from their big city job where they run into their old flame. And and as they do, um, somewhere along the way, the old flame, the guy and the girl, they fall in love and and pretty soon all of their friends, all of their family, everybody around them is aware that they are in love even though they haven't told anybody. You've all seen this, this kind of movie before, right? You know what I'm talking about it is incredibly sappy, but there's some truth in there. You see, when we experience love, it changes us. It makes us a little bit different. And while we're not talking about romantic love right here, the principle is the same. Love is the overflow of what you have received. That is especially true for Christians. If you're a Christian, if you've been born of God, if you know God, then love should flow out of you. And it will be obvious to all the people around you, which causes us to pause and ask ourselves the question, how do I do at loving others? How do I do with that? Am I loving others the way I ought to? Because if we are, it's going to be obvious. The implications of these verses here is is that this really can serve as a test of where you stand in your faith. If you know God, if you love God, can you take that down for a second? Thank you. You're going to love other people. But the opposite of this is just as true. Look at verse 8 with me. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It might be easy to pass this over quickly and, and miss the weight of what this is saying right here, but let me encourage you today, don't do that. Hear what this is saying. This is telling us that if we don't love others, then we don't know God. I know that's, that's pretty blunt, but, but that's what scripture is telling us right here. If you know and love God, you are going to love other people as well. And the reason for that is right there at the end of verse eight. Because God is love. Now, I want you to notice that that doesn't say that God is loving. It says that God is love. This is John taking one of God's attributes, his love, and he's saying that this attribute is so central to God's identity, to, so central to who he is, that we can identify God by this one attribute of his. God is love. And the whole point of verse eight is that if that same love that God has, that we identify God by, if that same love is not in us, if that same love is not flowing out of us, then we're not actually Christians. If you're a Christian, you are a person who loves. So now let's throw those questions up there. Let's ask ourselves these questions. How do I love Do I love others well? Have I demonstrated love to others? Leave those questions up there for a minute, would you please? I want you to think about those questions. Don't give yourself a pass right here. This is important. Don't be quick to to say, I I got it together. Because as we're confronted by God's word, I want you to remember, remember that it is easy to love people who love you. It is easy to love your friends. It's easy to love people that you like. And that's good. You should love those people. But that's not the only call, love that we're called to live out. We're called to love people who are hard to love. We're called to love the unlovable. As Christians, we're called to love our enemies. So ask yourself again, how Do I love? Do I love others well? And have I demonstrated love to others? How are you doing in those areas when you consider the bigger picture of how we're called to love people? And I get it. I really do. I get that at this point you might be with me. You might be saying, okay, Josh, I'm with you. I agree. The Bible is here, it is clearly telling us that as Christians, we're supposed to love people but Josh, you don't know the people that I have to deal with. You don't know my family. You don't know what they've put me through. You don't know my boss. You don't know how my boss treats me every single day. You don't know my neighbors and the the things they do. It's really easy for you to stand up there and say, hey, we're supposed to love other people, but it's really hard to live that out. And I get that. I agree with you on that. It is hard, which is why I want you to keep reading. Because as we keep reading, what we're going to see is that God modeled how to love others. He showed us how to love. Take a look at verses 9 and 10 right here. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now, the first thing I want you to recognize here is as we consider the fact that God has shown us how to love other people is that God's love is not just an emotion. We, we talked about this a few minutes ago. It's more than an emotion. Love is more than a feeling. It's an action. And in essence, what John is telling us here is this is how God showed you that he loves you. God made his cl- love clear to us by sending his son God moved. He acted. Love that's all talk is not love. You know what I mean by that? Like, I tell Tama that I love her all the time. Like, all, probably too much. I don't know. Is that possible? Like, like every time I leave the house, I'll tell her I love her. Every time I hang up the phone with her, I'll tell her I love her. Every now and then, if I'm bored, I'll pull out my phone and I'll just send a text message, I love you. Maybe I'm sappy, I don't know. But And she does the same thing too, right? But if that's all I do, if that's the only way that I love my wife, then I don't really love my wife. Because love is more than an emotion and it's more than talk. It's more than words. Love acts. And what I want you to see is that when God showed us how to love others, he acted in a big way. John says in this the love of God was made manifest among us. This is the way that God showed us that he loves us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now, how does God love us? How did he show us what love looks like? He came to be among us. Think about that. The coming of Jesus was a concrete historical revelation of God's love for us. The fact that he just came to earth was a demonstration of his love for us. But the way that he came also shows us what love ought to look like. Because God's love in Christ at, at his first advent, when he first came, was a self-sacrificial love that sought our good at his expense. Verse nine says that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Why did Jesus come into the world? So that we might have life. That's what Jesus said himself. In John 10, 10, he said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And what I want you to ask yourself are what are the implications of that statement? When Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. When John says that God sent his son into the world that we might live, what are the implications of those statements? The implication is that before Jesus came, we were dead. Before Jesus came, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, according to Colossians chapter two. But God, his love for us was so great that he sent his son to earth in order to fix our sin problem so that we might live. What greater self-giving gift could there possibly be than God's gift to us of his son? And what greater model of how love should look could God have shown us for how we're going to love others than the model he gave us in giving up Jesus to reconcile us to himself? But there's something else in the way that God showed showed us how to love that I, I want you to see here. And that's the reality that God's love is not reactive, but proactive. That God loved us first. In, in verse 10, John writes, in this is love. He's saying, do you want to know what love looks like? This is what it looks like. He says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So what does, what does love look like? It doesn't look like we were good enough. It doesn't look like we loved God enough, and so he loved us back. God wasn't up in heaven looking down and saying, okay, they're starting to love me. I think I'm going to love them. It wasn't like he saw us doing some things and said, okay, okay, that's enough. They're starting to show some affection toward me, so I'm going to send my son to fix their sin problem so that we can have a relationship. That's not what happened. God loved us while we were still his enemies, while we were still in rebellion against against him. So what love looks like is God pursuing us in spite of our sin, in spite of our wickedness, to bring us back into full relationship with him. Love is proactive. He's not reacting to our love. But in order for God to love us, proactively, in order for him to bring us back into relationship with him, he had to deal with our sin. Because God is holy and righteous, and we are not. And our sin makes it impossible for us to be in his presence. Because of our sin, we can't be with him. His holiness cannot abide our sinful rebellion. And his justice demands that our sin be punished. And so God had to deal with that. Out of his love, he moved. And he did it in a way that was both loving toward us and just. He dealt with the severity of our sin by serving out an equally severe punishment. That's what the word propitiation there in our text is all about. That word literally means an atoning sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that is given to appease the wrath of God. And what verse 10 is telling us here is that God sent his son. He sent Jesus for just that purpose, to be that atoning sacrifice. Jesus, God in the flesh, he he came and he lived a perfect life. And unlike us, he didn't have any sin for which a punishment needed to be paid. But he took our place anyway. He paid for our sin by laying down his own life at the cross. He appeased the wrath of God that was due our sin for us. And if we will repent of our sin, if we'll place our faith and trust in his finished work there at the cross, he will forgive our sin. He will give us his righteousness. And that righteousness, it covers our sin completely. So completely that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us as sinful, rebellious, like sinners. He sees us the way he sees Jesus. He sees us as holy and beloved and righteous because Jesus was our propitiation. That's what a propitiation does. But what we cannot forget as we look at this is that Jesus did all of that voluntarily. He chose to do it. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. But he chose to. He chose to come to earth. He chose to live that life that we couldn't live. He chose to let them nail him to that cross, to die for our sins in our place so that he could show us what true love looks like. And that's the model of love that God has given us to live out for other people. We love like he loved us, sacrificially. Our love is going to cost us something. Sometimes it's going to cost us dearly. Christian love won't be free. There's going to be a price. Maybe it's our time. Maybe it's our money. Maybe it's our pride. Maybe it's the fact that sometimes we're going to love people and they're not going to love us back and it's going to hurt. But we love anyway. The kind of love that God has shown us, it wasn't free. And the kind of love that we're going to show others won't be free either. So we love in a way that gives of ourselves for others' sake. That's what we're seeing here. That's how God loved us. And when we do that, we'll be able to show God's love to people who wouldn't see it otherwise. I want you to look at verses 11 and 12 with me because John is showing us that when we love others, we're extending God's love to them. That's what we're seeing here in these verses. Take a look, starting at verse 11. John says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, I want to pause right there because we're encountering another command to love. We might miss it if we're not paying attention because that word ought there in the English, it doesn't carry the same weight that its Greek counterpart does. When we say the word ought, we think that it's kind of a suggestion, like like, maybe we do something, maybe we don't. You ought to do this. It's an option, right? But, but the Greek word that, that lies behind that English word, ophelo, it's more forceful than that. that. That word has this sense of obligation. It has a sense of indebtedness. Like, you owe it to them. You're obliged to give them this thing. And what we're seeing here is that as Christians, as the people who have received God's love, we owe that love to other people. I really appreciate how how bluntly the New Testament scholar Colin Cruz put it. Listen to this. He said that John is not giving us a lesson about the love of God for its own sake, but to show that God's love for us must cause us to love one another. That's what John is getting at here in verse 11. This verse is telling us that as followers of Jesus, we are called to model God's love to other people. We are called to extend that love so other people can experience God's love. We're seeing again a command to love, to be known by our love. If we're gonna be Jesus' disciples, then we need to be the kind of people who line up with what Jesus said in John 13, 35. There in John 13, 35, he said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Disciples of Jesus are known because they love people. So let me ask you this, are you known by your love? Are you known as a person who who loves people? if we took John 13, 35 there and we were to change it up a little bit and just put your name into that verse, would it be a true statement? Like if John 13, 35 said, by this, all people will know that, and then take out that you there, put a line and fill in your name. By this, all people will know that Josh is my disciple because he loves other people. If that is how John 13, 35 was written, would that be true? Think about that. Because that's a test for us today. Do you love people the way God has loved you? Do you model God's love for people? Do we really love? Because if we're going to be obedient disciples who follow Jesus's commandments, then we have got to love people. And as we move into verse 12, I want you to see that it's through our love for other people that other people are going to experience God's love in a real and profound way. Take a look at this. Verse 12, John writes, no one has ever seen God. Stop. That is an absolutely true statement. Nobody here on earth has ever seen God face to face. In fact, in the Old Testament, when Moses asked God, hey, I want to see you, God responded to him and said, you cannot see my face for man cannot see me and live. To see God face-to-face on this side of heaven, it is not possible. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't manifest himself to people today. So John writes in verse 12, no one has ever seen God. But then he adds this statement. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God face-to-face with their own eyes. Nobody's seen him. But what John is telling us here is that there's a way that people can see God through us. That when we love God and we love other people, God is going to abide in us. And through that, they're going to experience and see God. And as John says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. As he says that, he's telling us at least two things. First, he's telling us that our love for other people is the proof. It's the evidence that God abides in us. So if you're a Christian today and you're wanting to know, does God abide in me? This can kind of serve as a test. All you got to do is ask, do I love other people? Because if you're a Christian who loves other people, then God abides in you. He lives in you. When we love other people, we know that God abides in us. But the second thing that this is telling us here is that when we love others and and when God abides in us, then his love is perfected in us. And if you're anything like me and and you read that line right there, you're, you're saying, wait a minute, Josh, how is God's love perfected? Isn't God already perfect? And isn't everything about God already perfect? Fair question. Here's where it helps to to kind of dig a little bit deeper because the Greek word there is teleo and, and it can mean perfected, but it also means completed or accomplished or brought to its end. And I think those translations of that word make this a little bit clearer what John's telling us here. Love is, God's love is made complete in us. It's brought to its end, to its goal as we love other people. You see, when we love other people, we serve as a conduit, kind of like a circuit where God's love can flow through us and reach other people. Like, you guys have got experience with, with electrical circuits, right? Everybody has. It's Christmas time. So, so, for example, earlier this week, Kristen was setting up the Christmas tree over in the fellowship hall. Um, and it's gorgeous. By the way, if you haven't seen it, you need to go check it out. Like We could, like, we could hire Kristen out to like decorate shopping malls and stuff. It's awesome. But in case you were wondering, that tree is not pre-lit. So Kristen spent the better part of a day putting over a thousand Christmas lights on that tree. And and once she finished putting all those Christmas lights, brand new Christmas lights on that tree, she took a break, ran home, did some errands, something like that. And, And when she came back, the tree was off. She texted Nathan and I, and she's like, hey, did, did one of you guys unplug the tree? And we said no, and so she went and checked, and sure enough, it was plugged in, but the lights weren't on, and so I told her, hey, check the circuit breaker. It's an old building. Who knows? Maybe that popped a circuit breaker. It's a lot of lights. Um, circuit breaker was on, and, and, and you've, you guys have all played this game before, right, with Christmas lights? Now it's time to figure out where did the circuit get broken. So Kristen started inspecting and and, and as she looked over the whole thing, it turns out that 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 bottom string of lights, the ones right there at the base of the tree, at the very bottom, it was defective. And as soon as Kristen unplugged that string and took it off the tree and she plugged in a new string and she re-put it on the tree and she connected the rest of the, the strings of lights to that string of lights, all of a sudden, all of that electricity was able to flow through those lights up to the rest of the tree and the whole tree is on again. And that is kind of like what it's like for us as we love others. We serve kind of like that first string of lights that's been replaced. We let God's love flow through us and it reaches other people. When we love, we're completing the circuit of God's love. We bring God's love to its goal. And I think that's a good way of thinking about this right here. I think that's a good way to understand this because no one can see God but they can see us. And when they see us loving them in a way that makes absolutely no sense, except for the fact that we have got God's love in us, when they see that, they're experiencing God's love in their life in a very real way. So those people that we love, they get to experience God's love. That's as close as they're gonna get to seeing God this side of heaven. When we love others, we're modeling God's love to them. We're able to manifest God's love in very real ways, which is why it's so important for us to be a people who love well. You know, as we've been looking at this text today, this this call to love others is, is mentioned three times. Did you notice that? In verse seven, we see it as a command to love. He says, let us love one another. And then we get to verse 11, and and we see it as an obligation to love. We ought to love one another. And then here in verse 12, we see it as a conditional statement about a very real reality. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Why all the repetition? I mean, we're... 7, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, six verses. Why in six verses is he telling us three times to love people? Maybe because we're hard-headed and we need to be told over and over and over and over again to love people. Maybe because this is that important for us. That that if we're gonna be Jesus's disciples, we have got to be a people who love people the way Jesus loved people. So as we celebrate Advent this year and... As we're going through this this season over these last couple of years where let's let's just be perfectly honest, this is a safe place. It's been hard to love people. Am I right? Can we just be honest for a minute? It's hard to love people right now. But maybe as we're going through this season and we're looking at all of this, maybe what we're seeing is an encouragement that we need to endeavor to love people well anyway. Because God has loved us. Because God has shown us his love in the most powerful way possible by sending his son to die on the cross for our sin. So we can endeavor to love people well. Because our love is how other people are going to experience, how they're going to see God's love. So let me encourage you today, let's love people well. All year round, but especially, especially during the season of Advent, the season of Christmas. Because when it comes down to it, Christmas really is about the fact that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us that we could be reconciled to him. That's what we're seeing right here in this text today. That is the love that we celebrate at Christmas. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.